I should have a picture on screen. I hope you can see it. In ancient Greek legend, Narcissus was the son of a river god. He was strikingly attractive. It is said that Narcissus could have lived to old age if he never looked at himself. Many women were enchanted by his beauty, but he rejected them all. One of his fans was called Echo. She adored him, but he spurned her. Echo was so upset that she withdrew from the world and she wasted away until all that was left of her was a whisper. Sometime later, Narcissus went to drink at a pool of water, clear water, and when he saw his reflection in the water, he fell in love with himself. But each time he bent down to kiss this beautiful image, it seemed to disappear. And he got more and more thirsty, but he wouldn't dare to disturb the water for fear of losing sight of the beautiful reflection of himself. And in the end, he died of thirst. And there on that very spot appeared the Narcissus flower with its bright face and bowed neck. Now this legend became very popular in the 19th and 20th centuries for works of art and for music. This is a famous one from much earlier. And the warning about self-obsession resonates with our age. The name Narcissus has even been given to, by psychologists to a certain personality disorder. Now, according to the magazine Psychology Today, a person with narcissist, narcissistic personality disorder has an extreme feeling of self-importance accompanied with entitlement and a need to be admired. A narcissist is envious of other people and expects them to envy him or her. The narcissist lacks empathy and readily exploits other people and lies to them to achieve their aims. If they feel obstructed or ridiculed, they can fly into a fit of anger and revenge, sometimes called a narcissistic rage. And that has disastrous consequences for everybody involved. Now, we wouldn't want to live like that, would we? But we are actually all in grave danger because we're not good at listening. Sam pretty much nailed it with the family engagement talk. That was hilarious and challenging at the same time. You see, we're not that good at listening because listening well requires humility, believing that other people know more than me, uh, other people have a needed perspective, they might be wiser and I have to hear from them. And because we're by nature quite self-centered, we're less and less skilled in the art of listening. And our culture really doesn't help us. Our culture is an age now of constant distractions, superficiality, skimming. We thought a little bit last week about how the digital age has affected us. And because in our culture, we are urged to make sure your voice is heard. We need to hear your truth. And we're constantly told to, to let our voice be heard, but we're not equally urged to listen carefully to other people. We live in a time that is relentlessly self-centered. Somebody's called it the I generation, where the letter I is put in front of so many products, the iPhone, etc. And being, putting me in the center of everything and in front of everything else actually makes us immature people. 
and unable to handle reality. And according to the Bible, listening well is crucial to living well. It's a crucial skill that we all need. Why? Here's at least three reasons. There are those who go through life unable to listen to other people and accept advice are bound for trouble, aren't they? Secondly, it's impossible to have a real relationship with someone without actually listening to them. Those who will never listen, who insist on always doing the talking, whose opinions dominate, for whom every conversation is one way, for them, a relationship is not real. It's just a mirror. Derek Kidner, a wonderful Old Testament scholar who wrote on the book of Proverbs, said it is impossible to get a proper sense of yourself without two things, a deep reverence for God and an openness to being instructed. So if we want to live well, we must learn to listen. And the book of Proverbs is here to help us. We thought last week about how Proverbs teaches us how to live well in God's world. It deals with the small change, the granular details, the nitty-gritty of life. Proverbs addresses those areas of life where you don't have a rule book. 98% of life is made up of small decisions that are not black and white. And 88.2% of statistics are made up on the spot. Some people are still listening. How do we live well when we don't, we don't have rules? Stand back. How do we acquire the skill of living well? How do we get a deep character and straight thinking, not crooked thinking? The answer is by learning wisdom. And today we see that wise people listen well. Now, Proverbs has a lot to say about words and speaking. There's a, over 90 Proverbs to do with speech. Proverbs says that the tongue has the power of life and death. So tonight, we're going to look at speaking, look at words. But before we do that, vitally, we're going to stop and listen. Before we think about our speaking, we're going to think about our listening. How do we receive words and advice and wisdom if we want to live well? Five points. They're all in the booklet, and they will come up on the screen. Firstly, listen to advice. In uh, chapter 12, verse 15, we see an important contrast between the wise and the foolish. Have a look at it there. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. The key difference between a wise and a foolish person is the wise one listens to advice. Fools don't. Why? Because they are convinced that they already know best. Why do they need to listen? Now, the next Proverbs give two reasons about the two things about the benefits of seeking advice. The next one says that this is the way to establish your plans, chapter 20, verse 18. Plans are established by seeking advice, so if you wage war, obtain guidance. If you wage war, you would need guidance. Now, I know, I hope nobody here is planning to invade Europe anytime soon. Uh, but just think about that what would be involved in waging war. Think about the risks to human life, to uh, property, to a nation. Waging war, you would surely, if you were going to do that, you would, you would want to make sure you had the best chance of winning because of the risks. And so that's an example for us that if, if we want to be a victor, a winner 
in life, we need constant advice. And the next proverb says, here's what makes plans fail. 15.22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Lack of counsel. The King James Version, the old version of the Bible, has a wonderful translation of this. It says, without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Imagine a multitude of people giving advice. Why is it important? Here's why. Because if we only listen to one or two people, we are much more likely just to talk with the people who already agree with us. We're inclined to pick people who share our point of view, close friends. Whereas a range of advisors will bring in wisdom from outside the box. They'll come up with perspectives and see things that we would never have seen. And I'm always amazed uh, when people make big decisions in church life without actually talking to a wide range of advisors. Why would we do that? Perhaps because we just don't want to hear any objections to what we want to do. Or maybe it just never occurs to us. But Proverbs says, seek advice. Actively seek it. Have the humility to accept other points of view. Get all the advice you can. And over the years, I learned a few more things about this. Seek advice from people of other cultures. What a gift that is in our church. We're not all from the same culture. People from other cultures have wisdom that we don't see because most of us are like this. Seek advice from people of other generations, including your parents. You know, your parents do actually know one or two things. And seek advice from non-Christian people, non-believing people. Remember how Moses reached out to his pagan father-in-law, Jethro. By God's grace, his common grace, non-believing people often have great wisdom. Don't despise that. And your willingness to listen to them may open a door for them to listen to you. So first reflection question today. Do you have a wide range of advisors? Listen to advice. Secondly, listen to criticism. There is one form of advice that I guess most of us really don't like. Would you put your hand up, please, if you enjoy being criticized? One person. Let's be honest. Most of us don't enjoy criticism. I've got to be the first to admit this. My finest critic, to whom I've been married for 24 years, has advised me that I'm good at seeking advice, but poor at receiving criticism. She said, you have an answer for everything. And I said, yeah, but... <laughs> now, look at these next Proverbs. Chapter 12, verse 1. It actually contains a word that we banned in our household. Whoever, listens, who, sorry, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. Now, when our kids were growing up, we actually banned them from using the word stupid... Don't say you're stupid, don't say your brother's stupid, don't say blah, whatever it is is stupid. 
But this is, is fairly blunt, actually. It's enough to stop us in our tracks. It says that the person who loves knowledge is someone who actually loves discipline. And that really means correction, being, being corrected and criti- crit- critiqued. The person who loves correction is willing to examine their own beliefs and their own actions and change. They listen. They are the one who loves knowledge. Now look, we all inherit biases and prejudice from our family, our culture, our community. We tend to think that we know best, but we will not grow into human maturity unless we listen to criticism. None of us. In fact, it says that if you hate correction, you're stupid. And as we say in our house, we don't say stupid. (laughs) Now, if you thought that was strong, look at the next verse, 29 verse 1. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Oh, my days. This is a person who's been corrected many times. They've received many rebukes. A lot of critique has been given to them. But how did they respond? They remained stiff-necked. Now, this is an image from an agricultural, agrarian culture, a culture that relied on the horse and the donkey for transport and relied on the ox for agriculture. Imagine an ox. It's there with that big wooden yoke over it. But this ox will never turn its neck. It's always going straight. Whatever you do, you can't change it. It would make an absolute mess of the fields. Completely ruin all the the crops. And then here we've got a horse which you're riding along and this horse will always keep its neck stiff. It will never move and change direction no matter what you do. In the end, you'll probably ride yourself into a ditch or over a cliff. Like the, the early sat-navs were said to lead people into a field or over a cliff, you know. Don't follow it. Uh, an animal that kept its neck stiff would, could not be steered. It could lead to danger. It would certainly be useless. And in the end, such an animal might be destroyed. Because what's the point of feeding that horse if it's never going to get me to town? Take it down the knacker's yard. Now, this is a serious warning that Solomon gives us in this Proverbs. Proverb, those who are wise in their own eyes and resist correction are heading for disaster. Have you seen that? Now, this is true in our spiritual lives as well. God is the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chance. I don't know how many chances. God gives us many, many countless opportunities to turn from our error, our selfishness, our sin, and to follow him. But, friends, you're here today, so I can say it to you now. If we continue to be stubborn, if we continue to stiffen our neck and always resist God's leading, if we are indulging in the same sins over and over again, if we refuse to turn, we are hardening the heart. And the Bible warns that there may come a point in a person's life where God says, okay, have your way, and the door shuts. Somebody said that the doors of hell are locked from the inside. So this is serious. Are you open to criticism? Will you allow voices into your life that point out where you're going wrong? Will you listen to the Holy Spirit's challenge? Listen to advice, listen to criticism. Thirdly, listen to life 
So far, we thought about words and spoken advice, but there's another angle here that comes through in Proverbs. It's that life itself is a great teacher. Life teaches us things if only we will listen to it. Look at chapter 17, verse 10. A rebuke impresses a discerning person more than a hundred lashes a fool. Now, this is saying that experience is a great teacher. In the ancient world, the worst crimes were punished with lashes. It's a terrible thought that someone would be tied to a, I don't know, a tree or a, a, a strong structure and then a, would be flogged on their back, their bare back, with a, a lash. Could have bits of stone and metal knotted into it to make the pain worse. In, in, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians, that on five occasions he received a punishment that was known as the 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes. And it was very, very harsh punishment given out by the authorities. 39 lashes like that could kill you. It would certainly put your body into shock and trauma. Paul endured it five times for the sake of Jesus Christ in his career. Now, Proverbs says here, that's 39 times, right? Proverbs says here, you can lash a fool a hundred times it's a superlative, exaggerated image. But what does the fool learn from those hundred lashes? Very little. Very little. But by contrast, a discerning person can hear one, one piece of advice, one correction, and it impresses them deeply and they change. We've got to listen to life. We've got to listen to experience. God is teaching us through our lives. Especially he's teaching us through the hard times, through the lashes, through the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, things you didn't deserve. So let me ask you, have you experienced deep disappointment, heartache, betrayal, Terrible stress. These things come in life, don't they? What we need to do is ask, Lord, I don't know why I'm going through this, but what do you want me to learn from it? Because he will teach you. Now, the next proverb introduces three levels of teachability. There's three characters here. They are the mocker, the simple, and the discerning. Here it is in the... Uh, 19.25, flog a mocker and the simple will learn prudence, rebuke the discerning and they will gain knowledge. The mocker is someone, not just somebody who likes a bit of banter. In the Bible, the mocker is a person who is immoral. They have no respect for God and his ways. They have no respect for other people. They are happy to abuse others. And this person is bad news and when the mocker is flogged, he learns nothing. But the simple do learn. Simple doesn't mean they're not very clever. It's not about IQ. The simpler people who are a bit slow to learn. Don't you feel that we're like that? They tend not to be open to instruction. They tend to think they know best, but they're not set in their ways. When they see the mocker being hit by disaster, they will eventually learn from it. And then the third group, which is the group we want to be in, is the discerning. Notice what it says about them. Rebuke them, just a single comment, and they will gain knowledge. It is so crucial that we listen to experience. 
And the next proverb makes this point with searing power. I mean, if this wasn't in the Bible, you couldn't make it up. 27:22. Though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding them like grain with a pestle, you will not remove their folly from them. Uh, I've been getting into cooking since the first lockdown in 2020. I decided if I can't get takeaway curry, I can learn to cook curry. And I've realized since coming to Chesington that the next level of uh, curry cooking is to grind your own spices. That is so bougie. You get your own spices and you grind them up yourself, feeling like a proper chef, probably wearing an apron. And the smell that comes off those spices because you've ground it down to such a small consistency. It says here, if you grind a fool in a mortar, what a terrible image, somebody being ground down, and grinding them like grain, you will not remove their folly from them. They still won't learn. There are people who can go through the mill They get knocked down by life, ground down, knocked sideways, and they still won't listen. They won't learn. Trouble and suffering will drive some people deeper into the love of God, yet other people become harder and more bitter, convinced that a God of love cannot exist. What is the difference? It's whether you're wise in your own eyes or not. Now, when we are suffering and we can't see the reason for it, we are tempted to think that there cannot be a reason. Let me say that again. When we're suffering and we can't see a reason, we're tempted to think that there can't be a reason. And that is one of the biggest objections to Christianity in our culture, suffering. But to say that there can't be a God of love when suffering exists is basically to claim that you can't imagine a God who is infinitely more wise and infinitely more loving than you are. And yet that is the God that the Bible reveals to us, a God of infinite love and wisdom who even goes to the lengths of suffering for us at the cross. Therefore, whatever the circumstances, Christian friend, God loves you and he's at work in your life. And perhaps especially through our suffering. We learn things through suffering that we don't learn any other way. Oh, that it were different. You remember the quote from C.S. Lewis, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So let's reflect. Think about the last time that life really hurt. Or maybe that's now. What do you learn from it? How can you grow and change? Are you open to the lessons of life? Listen to advice, listen to criticism, listen to life, but fourthly, don't listen to everyone. So far we focus on the skill of listening, but here in Proverbs it's that there's another aspect of listening, which is that you have to learn to discern. You know, the multitude of counselors, not all of them are going to be good. (laughs) You have to figure out who's giving you bad advice. And Proverbs does urge us constantly not to be naive or foolish. There are some things that we really should not give airtime. We shouldn't listen to them. 
two areas that are highlighted here are deceit, that's lies, and gossip. There it is on uh, the right-hand page. Don't listen to everyone. Chapter 17, verse 4. A wicked person listens to deceitful lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. If we listen to deceitful lips and a tongue that is tearing down other people, it's because we actually love it. We love lies. Another way of putting this is that the more of a liar you are, the more you will be willing to listen to deceit. Why? Because if your heart is envious and proud, you seek to justify yourself. You want to hide your own flaws and be overly critical of the failings of other people. And so it makes you open to listening to bad things about others, listening to lies. You'd be more easily deceived into believing flattery, and flattery is lies about yourself, and more easily led into believing bad things about other people because you want to believe the worst about them because that makes them look worse than you. It's wretched. Deceit is so toxic. It's extremely dangerous to friendships, to families, to the community, and of course to the church. One thing we always emphasize with our kids growing up is whatever you have done, Tell me about it. Tell me the truth. Don't lie, because the lie would be worse than anything you've done. Because once you've started lying, you've destroyed our relationship. Just tell us the truth. Now, the contrast in chapter 21, verse 28, is the false witness and the careful listener. Look at this. A false witness will perish, but a careful listener will testify successfully. There's a person who knowingly gives false testimony in some kind of trial or, or serious conversation. And that person will perish. They will be exposed and experience disaster at some point. But the careful listener testifies successfully. Their words carry the day. Friends, where are you tempted to listen to lies and bad reports of other people? Do you secretly enjoy them? Or are you becoming a careful listener who will reject lies? And lies are very closely related to gossip, which is another thing we mustn't listen to if we're going to live well. Chapter 20, verse 19 says that a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. The gossip knows confidential things about other people. And he or she betrays that confidence. They relish sharing juicy bits of information because it gives them power. Have you heard about so-and-so? Well, you never guess what. Sam, I'm just telling it you for your prayers. Gossip is catastrophic for relationships. Chapter 16, verse 28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. A gossip um, takes intimate information and shares it in the wrong forum. And it might be just because they talk too much, or it might be because they enjoy the attention that it gives them. But what it does is it actually separates and ruins friendships that might have taken 10 years to build up. What a terrible thing. But in some ways, the solution to gossip is very simple. 
It's to starve it of oxygen. Look at verse 20, chapter 6, 26, verse 20. Without a wood, sorry, without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. If you starve a fire of fuel, it dies. So if you deprive the gossip of the oxygen of your attention, the quarrel goes away. Think about the last time someone came to you with a bad report about somebody else uh, or some gossip. How, how could you respond next time? Are you cultivating the discernment of a careful listener? Not to be judgmental, but just to say, sorry, I don't think I need to hear that. Because the stakes are high, aren't they? Don't listen to everyone. And finally, listen to the Lord. Because beneath all of this wisdom that we've talked about, there's something really foundational. It's the deep roots of wisdom where we put the roots down in order to grow into human maturity. You only get to be really wise through the fear of the Lord. Chapter uh, 15, verse 23. 32 there says, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. Chapter 1, verse 7, that key verse we thought about last week, here it is again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Despising wisdom is to think you're too clever for it. You don't need it. You're wise already. You can figure things out on your own as an independent self. And the root of that is pride. The relentless, unsmiling concentration upon yourself. That's what makes someone despise instruction. And the fear of the Lord is the absolute opposite of that. Is the humble, open, meek, being open to God, eager to hear from him and to please him. And that's called here the fear of the Lord, not cringing fear, but deep reverence. See, as we get to know God better, as He really is, we will gain the right perspective on life, on relationships, on the world. And that is how we begin to be wise, and that's how we continue to be wise. Now, just as we close here, I've been wrestling with a question all week How does the fear of the Lord specifically make us better listeners? So how does the fear of the Lord make me a better listener? And I'd love to hear your thoughts, but here's what I've come up with. Listening requires self-giving. Listening requires that you actually give yourself to the, the other person. To really listen to someone else, you've got to pour yourself into that act of listening and be attentive. Uh, unlike the examples that Sam brilliantly gave us earlier you give your full attention to them that means you have to stop thinking about yourself so much and really pay attention to their needs their thoughts their feelings and that is an act that requires all of you and it's actually tiring it can be very draining so why on earth would you do that what is it that could turn us into people who give themselves to others? And the answer is the gospel. The gospel is a message about Jesus Christ, the word of God. He became one of us. He became a living, breathing 
flesh and blood human being. And he did it for us out of love. And he did it for our salvation. Jesus did not just come to talk, although he was a great teacher. Jesus was a great listener. You notice that when you read the Gospels. Striking to see how many questions Jesus asked. And how great his questions were. How they got to the heart of what the person was really struggling with. Or what they needed to think about. Jesus' questions were actually wise. And to ask a really good question, you have to have listened, don't you? How penetrating Jesus' questions were. And he did it because he was such an attentive listener. And that follows naturally from the self-giving nature of Jesus Christ our Lord. If you think about it, whenever Jesus gets into a conversation with someone, he's doing it for their good. To please them. It's not about him. He's truly self-giving. And so ultimately, what will change us into good listeners is knowing Jesus. We know that him through this message to call the gospel. It teaches you that you are not actually the most important person in the universe. But it teaches us that in the eyes of the most important person in the universe, you are deeply loved and accepted through Jesus. And therefore... In light of this new humility, I'm not the most important person, and security, I'm loved by the most important person, you are free to give yourself to others once again. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Amen.